It's me again. You're listening to TCF. If you're a recording artist and you're thinking about making a career out of music or you want to make a career out of music, you are listening to the right podcast because I have an interview with Jason Berger, entertainment lawyer on this podcast. He gives a lot of advice for uh, recording artists who are just starting out. He's been practicing law since uh, I think 2005 or 2004. I read it a little bit different in two different places, but he was named to Super Lawyers in 2019 this year, which basically means that he's one of the best lawyers in Pennsylvania, but he just knows the music industry and he's just so involved in the music industry. He owns a record label with a couple different partners. I believe it's Nice Things Music, founded by Chill Moody. Uh, he's heavily involved in the Recording Academy and he, he just, you know, the way he works with his clients, because he has all these connections in the music industry, he uses those connections to help his clients. So it's not just law advice that he kind of gives, although he's very good at that as well. Um, but basically, he talks about some of the biggest legal issues that artists face. He talks about some of the biggest mistakes that artists face when they're just getting started and um, deciding to be independent or to sign with a record label, what it takes to sign with a record play, uh, label even in the first place, and just some of the stuff that he does for his clients, all sorts of stuff, setting up plans of action for them and just helping them navigate the music industry because he knows it so well. Um, but he just talks about one of his clients who um, was going to perform at a music festival down in New Orleans. Um, he needed a DJ. Well, it worked out for Jason just to be the J DJ. So Jason uh, DJed his set, basically will do pretty much anything to help his clients out, it seems. Um, and so that's really awesome to see. And so we're going to get to that interview in just a little bit. But just first... Chance the Rapper dropped his debut album, The Big Day. Um, it's funny that he calls that his debut album because obviously we know him so well from his past mixtapes. And The Coloring Book, you know, came out in 2016. It won a Grammy for the best rap album. So it was um, enough of an album to win the Grammy for it. So kind of calling this the debut album is a little bit of marketing kind of to hype it up a little bit more but um it's also just funny that chance was on the 2014 xxl freshman list because to me um you know he was always a household name for a while now but i guess you know after acid rap he got big and then that was you know right before coloring book came out but um this album was vibey definitely some really catchy songs on it definitely gives you that summertime vibe you'll probably hear it on the radio if you haven't already but just looking at some of the um, features on it death cab for cutie john legend 
Um, gospel singer Kiki Sheard, so you still have that gospel music vibe in it that you saw so much in Coloring Book. Um, Sean Mendez, amongst many others, um, but those are just a few, kind of just to let you know the vibe of this album. But you know, you get Nicki Minaj on the album and a bunch more, but um, I think I'm going to be playing Devil's Advocate a little bit here because there's nothing truthfully bad about this album, but he got the world's attention with Coloring Book. He doesn't. He didn't need to get the world's attention anymore. Everybody's already listening, so they're already coming in here and listening. So to me, he didn't take any sort of big risk on this album. I think Coloring Book. It, it was genius. It was music genius. It was lyrically. It was genius, and also just the fact that someone was combining gospel music with hip hop was something new for the first time. Um, and so, just the way that album came out you know, dropping it as a mixtape, I guess. Um, but that, that was his kind of, uh, the world kind of woke up to Chance the Rapper, even though for me, he was always a household name, at least since Acid Rap. Um, but the world woke up to Chance the Rapper when he dropped Coloring Book. So now it's like, if everybody's already going to be listening, it seems to me that he dropped an album that is going to be catchy, it's going to get the radio plays, because everybody's already coming to listen to Chance, because this was highly anticipated because of Coloring Book. So now, he didn't need to get the world's attention, so this was a safe move. Lyrically, there's nothing too crazy about it. It's kind of, he's rap, he's talking about, really his wedding day is what he says he's talking about, but he talks about being um, a new husband, a new father, and just all the joy that comes with it. So there's, this album is all about his happiness and what makes him happy, and that's great. But there's nothing really looking at anything different, looking at anything deeper. Lyrically, I think everything is pretty plain and simple. Um, we Go High um, is the song with the best lyrics and, and like a little bit more deeper meaning to it, I'd say. Um, but basically, this was a safe move for him, I think. I think he already knows that everybody's going to come and listen to it. So if he did anything kind of making, um, taking a risk, then you know, you could turn a lot of people off to him. But because everybody's coming to listen, they'll listen, they'll say, hey, this is a good album, they'll continue to listen to him. And, you know, it's just a good, safe career move for him. But he didn't take any risk on the album. Um, but, you know, it's a good album. I'm definitely going to listen to it myself. It's catchy, like I said. It's a good summer vibe. And, you know, it's, it's nothing super special. I think it's going to be hard for a chance to ever... Um, top coloring book, and, and he's going to continue, he's a, he is still a genius artist, he's still amazing at what he does, um, but I think just for anybody to top coloring book, not that it's the best album ever, but it was a very good album, and I, I think it is going to be very hard for him to top that even himself, um, so I think that that's going to be, I think a lot of artists have that one album that we're always going to compare them to, looking back, Chance the Rapper, 
You're always going to compare his work to Coloring Book. But was it better than Coloring Book? Was it the same as Coloring Book? You know, so that's what he's kind of going to face the rest of his career. I think that, you know, and, and I think that's fair because it was a very, very good album. So we want to see if he can get back to that or get close to that. But I don't think he even tried to at this point. I don't think, I, you know, I want artists to take risks to do different things. And I think you get that from him. You know, it's, you get the gospel music from him. You get the good summer vibes from him and you get him rapping as well. Um, so he does, he does everything that he does well. He just didn't do anything different with this album. And so I think, you know, feel free to tell me what your opinion is. Honestly, I would love to hear it. Um, but that's the way I'm thinking about it. It's a good album, not a great album. And it's just, it's kind of getting the job done. It's going to get people to continue to listen to him. Um, but that's the way I think about it. Like I said, definitely give me a comment, whether it's on YouTube Instagram, um, you know, give me a comment, let me know what you think about the album, and, and we can, uh, maybe you can change my mind, but for now, we're gonna get right into this interview with Jason Berger. I now welcome on Jason Berger. Jason is an entertainment lawyer from Philly, been practicing law since 2004. Jason, uh, thanks so much for coming on today, and, uh, just why don't you start off just telling people what you do? What does it mean to be an entertainment lawyer? Sure. Thanks, Dan. I first off, you know, appreciate you uh, for having asking me to be on. Uh, always like to share my experiences, so listeners can you know take that into consideration and appreciate uh, on a number of levels. So you know, again, appreciate it. Uh, as an entertainment lawyer, you know, it, it my, my role kind of varies. At the, at the crux of it is obviously um, making sure from a legal perspective that artists, producers, the various players within the music space are protected uh, from, a, from a risk standpoint. Uh, the other piece that goes into it is, is a lot of uh, contract work. As you know, a lot of the business and the, and the relationships are, are governed by various kinds of agreements. So, you know, we pride ourselves on kind of being specialists on on. The industry and how those kind of relationships are memorialized and documented. So a lot of what we do here is also uh, document and contract heavy. Uh, I think in addition to that and kind of what, what sets us apart from um, a lot of lawyers that operate in this space is kind of the perspective nature of our advice. So we spend a lot of time in particular with the, the better the better clients, the more involved in business in a lot of stages of planning things out. And that could be anything from planning how to start a production company and, and growing that to finding producers and, and working with different artists across different um, labels and publishing companies um, and making sure that the, the business is set up. But it also goes towards, you know, working with a recording artist, for example, on a release plan. So you want to put out a new music, new piece of music, a product, um, and just the, the factors that go into planning that out the right way, ultimately uh, releasing the music in the right way and marketing it so that you can, you know, can be as, as successful with that as possible. Um, you know, myself personally, I'm, I'm involved in a lot of different aspects of the business. So my law practice is, is one aspect. I also... Uh, with some partners, own a record label and a publishing company. I, uh, I'm very heavily involved in the Recording Academy and, and sit on the Board of Governors 
and chair some committees here for the Philadelphia chapter of the Recording Academy. I uh, I also you know really like to share my knowledge that I've gained over the years with whether it's uh, people who want to become entertainment lawyers or operate somewhere in, in the music space and uh, that allows me to teach over at Drexel University. They have a great music industry program there. So for about three quarters of the, of the calendar year, I have a variety of classes that I teach over there. And, you know, it all go, goes towards what I think is important in, in being visible and people um, starting to appreciate the brand that, that I'm building first with myself and now with a team of lawyers over at Margolis Edelstein, which is the firm. Uh, where I'm a partner and I chair the uh, firm's entertainment and new media practice group. And again, all, all those go into kind of us um, being experts in the area. Uh, and, and that means a lot more than just being able to do the paperwork. It means helping with relationships, helping our clients connect the dots with people that they need in their corner to, to do business and to do business the right way. Um, and that's, that's a big part of what we pride ourselves on in addition to handling the kind of the run of the mill legal work that comes with, uh, some of these, uh, roles in the business. Just looking at like some of your, your own personal, um, how you got started. Did you obviously, you probably always liked music, but did you know you wanted to be a lawyer first or did you know, like really like music and entertainment and then after the fact decide you were going to be a lawyer and how did those two things come together? Yeah, it's kind of funny how it ultimately materialized to where I am now. I, uh, I always had an interest in music. Um, I grew up and, and played in some, some bands and, and when I realized I was a pretty terrible musician, I kind of transitioned and started to help some of my friends at the time who were pretty good at it. And that, that could be as, as easy as, you know, opening some doors to some venues uh, I grew up in the Trenton, New Jersey area and got some of my friends, you know, the, the access and the ability to perform a show. Um, and when I was in the latter years of college and finishing up and, and figuring out what I wanted to do, I, I kind of um, left that behind because at that point I wanted to, I, I decided I would definitely want to continue my education after undergrad. And in determining what that next move was for me, Law school was attractive because I wasn't really boxed in afterward. You know, you can do a lot with a law degree. You can practice. You don't have to practice. But it's usually generally helpful for the resume in terms of doing something at a higher level and really whatever industry you're, you're going to focus on. So I, I took that path. And during my time in law school, I, I really got interested in, in the trial work. I had some great experiences working with some different judges over in New Jersey. I went to uh, Rutgers Camden and um, really kind of got almost addicted to becoming a trial lawyer. So that's what I mean when I say that the music took a sideline. Side I was still a fan, still going to shows, but didn't really think that that'd be anything that I would mix in terms of my professional uh, life. So... Uh, that's really what I did. I, I graduated. I clerked for a judge for a year, uh, saw some really great lawyers, one of whom was um, had a pretty extensive trial in front of the judge that I clerked for after law school. And um, the, the judge that I worked for was very impressed with this lawyer. And ultimately, I uh, was helpful in getting me a job with him when I was done. And I um, 
just learn the ropes to litigate cases. We, we dealt mostly in the civil um, realm and business disputes. So, you know, and then within a couple of years, I was handling my own trials, uh, sitting second chair on some of the bigger trials. So I really learned a lot, not only about trial work, but a variety of different industries and how those industries do business and solve problems. And I think in hindsight, you know, it's a, did I miss some years of networking and relationships by not jumping right into the music space? Uh, sure. But at the same time, I also think I gained some insight into business in general, which allows me to kind of think outside of the box now in solving problems that have kind of historically been solved one way in the music business. You know, so I think as much as I may have lost some time by not jumping right into the music stuff after law school, I also gained a lot of knowledge and experience that you know, helps me solve problems in a, in a less traditional way. Sometimes it works, uh, and I'm the hero, sometimes it doesn't, but you know, the perspective, I think, is what's key for that. And um, I did that for about seven years. Once, when I got to that point, um, for a variety of reasons, the litigation practice became tedious to me. And it, I was never the type where I really needed the, um, the pat on the back. But even in cases where we were successful, a lot of times we would still have clients that were upset or disappointed because, you know, we had, we had a, they had a big legal fee to pay at the end of the case. And it just wasn't fulfilling to me to put in all the time and the effort that these kinds of cases and this kind of practice required and to just not have that good feeling at the end of the day that I accomplished something, you know? So I thought maybe at that point I was still early enough in my career where I could switch gears. And I thought maybe music and entertainment was an area that I would like to explore. So I, I, I kind of inched there. And I started out by just working on some transactions based on the kind of cases that came into the firm that I was still at. Um, and working more with contracts and working on deals versus being in the courtroom. And once I, um, I expanded from that, I started to really learn the substantive issues that are involved in, in a variety of different industries, uh, primarily focusing on music. So it was a lot of homework. I went to every CLE class possible. I read every book that I could. I you know, got a lot of different contracts for some really good lawyers at the time who were kind of walking me through this process. And, you know, I would slowly but surely started to gain an understanding of the issues that are involved. And, you know, that was kind of step one. Step two for me was really recognizing that the, the big jobs that are as a music lawyer or an entertainment lawyer that New York and L.A. have to offer weren't in Philadelphia. And by that point, I had started a family. I had uh, a little girl in school. I really didn't want to uproot and move everything that we had here. And we really liked the area on top of all that. So I also knew that it would be a challenge and one that I was up for um, to really build a practice to get clients because we were going to, when I was going to really start out on this path, I knew that if I didn't have the clients and the work, it would be a losing effort being in this market in particular. Now, at this so I, I just, it, you know, engulfed myself, not to cut you off, in, in, in the industry and in the culture. And whether that was going to a show and maybe meeting a manager or getting involved in the recording academy, again, I just did everything that I could to shake that next hand or to have the opportunity to hand out business cards to the right people. 
Um, and, you know, slowly but surely I would get some interest. Somebody would pick my brain about, you know, a real small, simple agreement. And I started there to, you know, I don't know how long it's been now, but six, seven years later where I'm doing things kind of at the, at the highest level that the, uh, the industry has to offer. Absolutely. And, and obviously you're very involved now and know definitely the Philly music industry very well. And like at this point, when you do take on a client, is it just you know, someone that, you know, is going to pay you or do you only take on clients that you believe in when it comes to the music industry, whether you really like their music or their business or whatever? Like, I get, do you pick and choose your clients and have a big say in that yourself? Um, there's really two, two sets of circumstances that, that we deal with here. We've been able to um, kind of grow with the caseload. So if, if somebody has a legal issue and it's worth for them spending a few bucks on and having it done the right way, we'll, we'll take that work on all day. And we've now grown with the volume as that volume has increased over the last couple of years by hiring additional staff and paralegals and making sure that we could always keep up with that kind of workflow. Um, so that's the client that perhaps I don't have a previous relationship with, someone who may have been referred to us or someone who uh, one of my associates may know and brings that in. And that's usually just we perform the service for a fee. Um, now, there's certain other clients that I take a bigger, uh, I don't want to say stake in because it doesn't always track time versus what I'm paid for this, but it's more of an investment. So there's clients that if we review the music and see everything they have going on and their social media presence and it all lines up and we think that this could be a, a year for two from now with the right advice and the right help, a really big client of ours, we may invest more time in that. That's not necessarily going to show up on a bill, kind of just to buy into the longer term nature and the, and the upside of the relationship. You know, and that's where we may get into some of the more planning meetings, the more perspective advice, um, utilizing our resources and our Rolodex to help the artist or the songwriter or the producer connect the dots with maybe a publisher or maybe a record label, things like that. But that usually comes with, you know, like I said, the, the non-traditional, because there's only so much time and capacity for us to do that stuff just because of the bread and butter and, and is the billable legal work, you know? Yeah. Now what are like when, when you are working for a client just in general, uh, what are some of the biggest issues that you see that you work with that, that artists go through as far as legal issues? I think protecting themselves from, from risk, you know, um, is a, is a big one. We like to make sure before things really start rocking and rolling, unintended, right, that they're set up to capture um, not only to, to avoid risk, and a lot of times we'll do that by having them, uh, their services furnished through a company like an LLC, and we'll set them up with that. But a big part of this is understanding all the revenue streams that are available when you, you do perform services in a certain role and making sure that you're in a position to collect all that income, right? The, the royalty schemes are a little bit complicated. Uh, where and how artists and producers are paid can be complicated if you don't understand that. So part of it is making sure that that's in place 
but we also like to educate our clients to the extent possible. So I have a lot of clients that choose not to do that and their bills are much higher because we're not really doing legal work. You know, registering a song, for example, with your performing rights organization is something that an artist can do, a producer can do. Now, I do have some clients that would rather spend their time on the creative side, so they're happy to pay a, a, a fee for us to do that. But you know, a lot of what I, I pride ourselves on in our practice group here is also the education piece. So if a client, for example, is unfamiliar with that process, they may come into the office and we may walk them through it, and we may have to charge for some of that time, but the goal really through that meeting and what that fee would represent is an education piece. So to make sure that they understand the process and you don't need a law degree to do it, and they become familiar enough with that first time and that first meeting to be able to go ahead and do some of those things yourself without incurring a fee later down the road. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see, whether it's young recording artists or just that they're just starting out? What, what, what are some big mistakes that you often see? I think a, a, an overriding uh, mistake that I see regularly is just not understanding um, just the nature of business, you know, and uh, taking people kind of for granted and the relationships for granted where you know, an artist and a producer, for example, may have a great relationship. Uh, they may get along very well in the studio. They may cut some records. But if that artist doesn't appreciate that there's some business on those records that should be done before the record is released, you know, a lot of times that's a mistake that could jeopardize that relationship and, and, for, and perhaps other relationships. So I, I think, again, that's why we're, we're heavy towards educating our clients on top of it because we don't expect the clients to be able to do everything, in particular the higher level legal issues uh, and to deal with that. But in order to, to at least be educated enough to spot those issues is what's important. And to be able to then come to us and say, hey, this is you know a little complex for me, could you get involved? To, to make that determination is, is really the first step towards doing things the right way. Um, so again, kind of recapping the, the business informality and, and the informality of this industry in general sometimes gets people in trouble and causes them to make errors along the way. Um, but, you know, really just, uh, I guess, not appreciating how things are ordinarily done and what the industry custom and practices is, is you know, kind of a no-no. So that's why I say we like to try to get our clients uh, educated on, on how those things go so that they can be in a better, better position to do business the right way. Definitely. And when it comes to record labels, I think record labels, like when there's a mainstream art, mainstream artist that has a disagreement with a record label, sometimes record labels as a whole get a bad rep, but is there always good and bad when it comes to record labels or, you know, does it, you know, is there record labels out there that are all good and are all trying to help the artists? Uh, I think, you know, that relationship, there's, there's some positives and negatives in, in most of the relationships that I've been involved in on artists' behalf. Um, it, it's difficult because there's a, there's definitely some common goals in that relationship, but there's also some conflicting ones, right? So I think the, the the biggest goal and the things that I can help, you know, in particular after the deal is done, is just have help managing that relationship, you know, and having 
having strong ties to some of the folks that are at the higher level of those labels always helps. Um, and you just kind of figure out how to get around those hiccups that sometimes the, the relationship by its very nature does cause. In this changing industry, are record labels still as important um, or, you know, artists sometimes are out there trying to make a career on their own. Is that the right way to go about it? I think, you know, I can answer that probably 20 different ways, but to, to kind of summarize it in a, in a relatively short answer, it really depends, right? I think that at some point in every artist's career, they're going to need to affiliate in some way, shape, or how with one of the bigger record companies in order to get the, the staff and the resources and kind of the back-end help to take things to really the highest level. At what point is, is it critical for that to happen? I think that's really where the variables come in. And I, and I like to give an analogy to uh, you know an artist who's starting out, for example. And I usually tell people there's really two ways to go about it. Just when the artist starting to release great music and get a buzz and, and the things, the views and the followers that come with that, you really approach a fork in the road of how you can take your career. You could go the independent route, right? Because, um, and, and to go back to your specific question, there's a lot more tools available to the independent artist now than there ever was, right? Technology primarily is driving that, that side of the business. So now, like, I could go on and cut a record in the studio today and work with an online distributor and have that in stores, you know, maybe early next week. And, that, and that's amazing because artists before this wave really didn't have the ability to do that. So some would look at that and say, hey, the, art, the label really isn't necessary because I can put out my own music. The, the problem with looking at it that way is there's a lot more to continuing to grow a fan base and developing as an artist than just having your music in the marketplace, right? The marketing that goes into pushing a project and a record is critical. Um, the dollars that's required to push a project the right way is critical. So when we're going back to kind of that fork in the road example, I think it really takes two things in order for an artist to, at that juncture, take a more independent route and to continue to build things on their own organically and those two things are the right team members, right? People who really know what they're doing in this business, who have those relationships that it takes. So maybe you wouldn't have to rely so heavy on a major label and the resources and relationships that they have. And it also takes a, a, a budget. And that budget can vary depending on who the artist is, what the goal is for the next project, where they are in their career. But to just put music out anymore just doesn't work, regardless of how good it is. So if you're going to choose that independent route, you know, I really suggest that you have a strong team and that can consist of management, a great lawyer, a good accountant, a, a good road manager, or excuse me, a, a booking agent to get, get some shows on the books, things like that. Um, and if you have the budget to where you can help uh, pay for some of the tools that are necessary after you release the project and, and ultimately sometimes create the project, then you can take things pretty far on a, you know, quote unquote, independent basis. And you, you kind of ask yourself, well, what's the value in that, right? Sometimes the things that come with working with a major label aren't necessarily attractive to that artist who's starting out and starting to get a buzz from themselves. 
you do give up a lot within those relationships. Um, although, again, the, the other side of the coin could be argued in that you also get a lot and you can fast track your career and, and really do things the right way with the backing of, of, a, of a record company. Um, the other side of the coin is, is if you're approaching that fork in the road and there would be enough interest to make a decision, meaning should I go independent or should I work with some of these companies that may be approaching me or my team at this point, um, it really is, is boiled down to the value of what that deal looks like, right? So if you're at that fork in the road and you have a couple hot records out and a couple videos and things are moving in the right direction, people are talking about you, um, you can go if you have the interest into a record company and get a pretty nice deal, you know, maybe tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands. Um, but the, the real money, in, when you think of like a, a deal that's valued over a million dollars, doesn't come without some track record of success. And that's the real reason why you may choose with the right set of resources and the right team to do things independent. Because if you put out, for example, even a, a full-length project independently, and have some really good success with that. Ultimately, your next project, you may go to a, rec a major record company because of, again, the resources the, that they have. But the value of that deal is going to drastically increase when you've already been through the process and you can show the label that there's a track record of success. You know, and that's usually the reason why people start out at an independent level and do things themselves is to really drive the value up for the artist and to ultimately when it's time to sign that deal and maybe cash out then the value is much higher than it would have been if you if you jumped at the first deal that was offered to you definitely a lot of good information for that you're giving artists to consider um, when they're just trying to start out and figure all that out now just really quick i'm going to go back because you said you got into more of the law side because you weren't a good uh not as good of a musician, but I did see a picture on your Instagram of you DJing. So is that a career that's going to take off now as well? Oh man, that was <laughs> uh, by necessity. And that's kind of what I went back to with um, some of the artists that were a little more all in on, right? It is um, that in particular opportunity, we got a chance to, uh, for one of my clients to perform at a pretty big music festival, pretty visible um, weekend down in New Orleans and uh, you know the, the, the fee with it wasn't um, enough to where it made sense to fly a DJ down and bring a bunch of staff so again that's just an example we're, we're, we're all in with some of these artists and I'm at least personally of the opinion that I'm willing to do whatever we have to do right so in that instance it was it was a practical issue first but um, at the same time, you know, going back to technology, it's amazing. I've zero experience with um, DJ or DJ equipment beyond a real rudimentary understanding of it. But we work with some great folks here in our studios. And this artist in particular works with a, a real talented engineer and producer. So they were able to really make it as easy for me as possible to where I'm, I'm just pushing buttons, you know. But it was definitely cool, different experience for sure. Um, and like I said, if that's what kind of the job requires to help move the ball forward for one of the artists that we're really invested in, then that's kind of what we do. It's a good example of that. 
you really do what it takes. I, I definitely respect that. All right, Jason. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. Obviously, giving out a lot of good information for artists to consider. Uh, Jason Berger, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me again, man. All right. So that was Jason Berger, entertainment lawyer. Uh, normally for recording artists and some other people, I allow them to shout out their Instagram and whatnot, tell them where to go, listen to their music. But obviously I didn't do that for Jason, but you can look him up on Instagram. I follow him at Jason, at J B E R G E S Q, or you can just look up Jason Berger, Jason B E R G E R, or you can go over to my Instagram the creative underscore flow, follow me. And then you could also go through uh, who I'm following and follow him as well. Um, But uh, definitely, if you're a recording artist, and you need more than just that advice, maybe you need some legal help. He is the guy you're going to want to go to. He is located in the Philadelphia area. So Definitely go check him out. And next week, I will have Tierra Wax, crea- uh, Wax Creative Director, yes, Nick Kanonica, on my show. I know this for fact this time because I am finishing the episode today. Um, I've had the interview recorded for a couple months now, but I, I am finishing the episode today and I will be scheduling it to be uploaded today because I'm going on vacation this upcoming weekend, um, I'm going down to Aruba. I'm going to be chilling, relaxing on the beach, but you know, my gears will be turning. I'll be thinking and maybe I'll meet some recording artists down there um, and, and maybe kind of share some of the culture and some of the music that I find down there. So we'll see, but I'll be keeping keeping my eyes and ears out um, and, and kind of just observing what I see and maybe bringing it back to my listeners. Maybe some of you have been to Aruba, maybe you haven't. So just something cool that I want, might want to share. So keep an eye out for that as well. Uh, but for now, that'll do it. And you'll hear from me next week.
Lotto on the beat. <laughs> <laughs> 